0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney continues our series in John called Brave the Darkness with a message titled Son, Purifier, Provider. Join us in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good to see you today. Hey, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 2. That's where we are today in John chapter 2. I was talking with um, Beth and Eric Yotis. The Yotises have been missionaries f- with us. Um, we supported them from the beginning of uh, the launch of Vail Christian Church, and obviously you've probably read a bunch in the news where uh, Ukraine is having all kinds of issues. So Beth and Eric, have been there for the majority of their career in ministry, training church planters and networking with church planters and leadership throughout Ukraine. I will not forget, um, We uh, Eric and Beth and, and Lynn and I have been friends for a long time. And as uh, young people in our 20s, Um, Thinking we knew a lot about ministry, we were in the same team together in those early days, and um, Eric took a short-term mission trip to Ukraine right there 30 years ago when um, the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union um, came apart, Ukraine uh, went down this road of becoming a free, um, independent nation, and Eric took this trip, and he said, wow, the the gospel, has, um, there's an opportunity here that has never been before, right? And so he said, um, Beth and I are going to go and we're going to learn the language and we're going we're to get in there and train some church planters while we can. We don't know how long this door, this window will be open. We're going to go because uh, maybe it won't be open for very long and it hasn't been. Um, we're gonna go. I mean, I, I will not forget that conversation, and it was a part of their presentation. We need to go now because we're not sure if we'll be able to again. So, as I was talking with uh, the Yodises, I mean, goodness, the um, the church is thriving in in so many ways in Ukraine. As harder the harder it gets, the more oppression, the certain amount of persecution, all those kinds of things. <laughs> People are, uh, you don't need a building for uh, the gospel to continue to spread and Bible studies. Eric said he left a Bible study that they had started in their house. They always launch a a Bible study and, and, you know, amidst all this leadership stuff that they do. And he said, you know, just six or eight people were coming. He said, as soon as I leave... (laughs) There's like 25, 30 people coming to this Bible study now, and um, stuff like that. I mean man, just little uh, churches meeting in people's homes and um, really good things. So amidst all the all the war, all the ugliness that you see on the news. So keep praying for the Oodies. They're not going to stop by our church because they don't need to because they know that our support will not faint or wane. They're gonna go. Um, they're gonna move around uh, certain places where they need to kind of shore up their support and 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 things like that. And if they get uh, a chance, they'll they'll come through Tucson. So keep praying for the Yotuses. So you've turned to um, John chapter two, and that's where we are in this series. In the first chapter of John, we we completed that, and John laid out some. Thinking, he has some goals. He has some things that he wants to reveal. He has uh, he goes about writing this gospel differently than the other gospel authors. And sometimes, if you just kind of at first pass, you don't give it um, a lot of thinking, you uh, you kind of miss what is some of his goals are. But in particular, he wants us to see Jesus in all of His glory. Because that seeing is really it, it it has a huge effect on you, and so um in John chapter one, verse sixteen uh, if you just look look back or look across the page, this one verse sums up I think what he has in mind here, he says, "For we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another so when God gives you eyes to see, to really see Jesus in all of his glory, his greatness, his value, his unbelievable worth, when you see this, then, then he graciously shows us more of the greatness of Christ, which enables us, by his grace, to grow in the likeness of Christ. That's what he wants to do, these he just installs this, these gifts, and they just keep coming one after another by His grace into our lives, and and you believe, and you and you get to see so many things. And so today, uh, in in, uh, in this next piece of scripture that we're going to kind of unpack today and draw the truths out of the text, we're going to look at uh, just a few things. There's there, there, there's a verse that indicates that this is. Right thinking and good focus to think this way. This truth that I think we can focus on and, and, and pray through. And it, it comes at the end of this little story. But let's read the story first so that we can um, kind of unpack it. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1 of the Gospel of John. It says, Now on the third day there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there. We know who his mother is, right? And Jesus and his disciples, so those guys are there. They were also invited to the wedding. Weddings are pretty great, right? The food at weddings is always worth it. The cake is worth it, in my view, a lot. The reception's always got good stuff there, right? So, I mean, the context. I mean, everybody wants to go to a wedding because food... Everything you get to drink and eat, okay? So, so this is the, you know, everybody's there. It's kind of cool, right? So in verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine left. Now, I've, I've experienced that kind of reaction before when something doesn't go like you want it. Verse 4, Jesus replied, woman, why are you saying this to me? And I'm telling you, the tone was probably about like that. My time has not yet come. His mother told the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. In verse 6, now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washing, each holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. Verse 7, Jesus told the servants, fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the head steward. And they did. And when the head steward tasted the water that had been turned into wine, not knowing where it came from, here comes the commentary. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and and, and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. What's the matter with you, right? You've kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, here it comes. Here's the verse we focus on. Jesus did this as the first of his miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. In this way, he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So there's a lot going on here. It's kind of fun. I, uh, I utilize a lot of software for just studying and things. So I have some tools that I like. In particular, it, with the New English Translation with the Net Bible, if you uh, are, if you go online and you utilize the Net Bible, there's always these uh, notes and things that you can... Uh, click on and get to, and it's translator notes. But then there's also some attachments a lot of times that are maps. So you, you can go right to the map where it would be con, um, in context, the old, you know, what it was like then, the maps of Canaan uh, um, in Galilee. So I just clicked on it, just kind of looking around a little bit. I've been to Israel. It's pretty, pretty cool. In particular, this is uh, one of those Sites one of those spots where there's a church built on top of what would be the holy site, right, of where he did this, changing the water into wine. But Google Maps is actually super accurate. And and you can click right on it, and it'll, actually the, the place that, according to Google Maps, which I think is kind of interesting, it'll go right to the picture, I mean right there, and then you can, you know, travel around like a 3D camera because it's all been like mapped. Where it really happened is like the back, is, it's an alley in a corner and there's telephone poles and lines and everything. It's just this back alley where like trash cans are and stuff like that. I just thought that was pretty interesting. Now inside the church, they're like, no, here's where it actually is. And I don't know, maybe it is. But I like the way Google points it out. The places seems to be like you know like like the, like geography changes your theology. It seems like the place is interesting, but it's not actually about the place. <laughs> it's about it's about something else, right? We've received from His fullness one gracious gift after another. John 1, 16. that summarizes everything, all right. But verse eleven, look at verse eleven. All right. This indicates that our this focus on Jesus' glory and these and this these this grace, these gracious gifts that He gives to us, it's all summarized right here in the last verse. Jesus did this at the first of His miraculous signs in Cana of Galilee. That's where He did it. But here it comes. In this way, He revealed His glory. And his disciples believed in him. That's what's most important. So, John puts the focus again on seeing the glory of Christ. That's what he wants us to do in this story. He wants us to see the glory of Christ. His disciples saw his glory and they believed in him. That's what happened. Now, <clears throat> that's why John's writing this gospel. He wants us to believe. But he, but you, you can't believe until you truly see Jesus how he is. He wants to reveal the glory of Christ to us. He wants us to receive the grace of believing. So it would be in line with John's intention if we ask now, now what do we see revealed in Christ in this story of this wedding at Cana? What do we see? And I think there's a lot of things that you can see here. I'm just going to point out three of them, okay? That I think are pretty significant because... Jesus is revealed in this story. Uh, uh, we're we're going to look at this place where I think he he is actually absolutely an obedient son. He's a purifier and he's a providing bridegroom. The first one, my my first point is an obedient son. That's what I think is revealed. So what I mean here is that Jesus's loyalty and his, and obedience to his heavenly Father above is above being the son of an earthly mother and it's hard to get to that so so when i call him an obedient son i mean the son of his heavenly father not the son of his earthly mother There's not any doubt that Jesus was obedient to his earthly mother, mother, but that's not the point here. And if you read through this too quickly, you miss it. In fact, I think Jesus's words are intentionally chosen to reveal a radical allegiance to God and to God's will above his mother's will and above all human attachment and all human affections. I actually really love the sound of baby crying like that. You do not have to worry about that with me. Lynn and I have been waiting a long time for baby to whine and scream and cry. I'm great with it. Look at these first four verses again. We'll read through them again. Watch this. Here it goes. Verses 1 through 4. Now, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. So we know where it's at. Even Google Maps can show you. Jesus' mother was there, so, so Mary's there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited, so all of his guys are around him. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no wine left. She's pretty, like, kind of stressed out. I have witnessed this before. <laughs> I've done hundreds of weddings and witnessed this very thing. And man, there is not a lot you can do when someone gets like that. You want to go, hey, sit down here and relax. That is not a good way to go about it. (laughs) Jesus replies, woman, why are you saying this to me? He's really kind of perturbed. My time has not yet come. That's a surprising response. It is surprising. I think Jesus knew it would be surprising and he and, and. when he said it. And John knew it would be uh, surprising when he recorded it. They both know there's a reason here. I mean, they're both over there. They both saw this. There's nothing cultural that says that a man can't call his mother by the title mother. Mother, why are you saying this to me? But Jesus says, woman, woman. His response is, it's not disrespectful, but it's abrupt, isn't it? It seems to me that the cultural correlation would be almost the same today. I was trying to find a correlation. What would you say today? How would you say it? I I think it would be the same thing. I'm telling you, if I said woman to my mom, she would go like this. (laughs) And I feel like she'd be biting her bottom lip. And I'm fearful even right now because she's watching online. (laughs) She does every week. She's probably sending comments right now. Her screen name is Ben's Mother. Now listen. This is abrupt, right? This seems blunt, curt not only because Jesus calls her a woman but also because he says why are you saying this to me not phrase right there why are you saying this to me if you put it in the original language you just search you can do a search throughout the new testament new testament it's used five other times in the new testament and every time it's spoken it's spoken by a demon to Jesus yeah when Jesus intrudes in their domain, these demons, and starts to exert power where they're in control. They say, Matthew 8, 29, this is what they say. Son of God, leave us alone. Right? Why are you saying this to us? What are you doing? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The gist of the phrase seems to be, I don't want you encroaching here. You shouldn't be coming to me like this. This is not your business. Wow. Talking to your mom like that. So Jesus is abrupt with his mother. He calls her a woman. He says, this is not your place to be calling out my power. So we do see that his mother expected him to do something. We're not told what she expected, but we are told that Jesus did not approve of what she said. Okay, So why the stiff arm? Why this? It's a great question. What makes this so significant is that Jesus goes right ahead and takes care of the problem by doing a miracle. I don't know if you put that together. He could have said very gently, yes, mother. I know, I'll take care of it. That's what he did, but that's not what he said, is it? That makes us ask why he spoke to her this way. If you're going to go ahead and do what your mother has in mind anyway, why don't you just simply agree with her and then do it? Why this terse, off-putting words and statement? Why? I want to know. You do a little work. I think the answer is that Jesus felt it was important to make clear not only to his mother and his brothers and sisters... And all the rest of us, in his guise, he wanted to make something really clear. That because of who he was, physical relationships on earth would not control him or obligate him. His mother and his family would have no special privilege, no special advantage. And how his ministry would unfold and how his ministry would happen. And his mother and family would not have any special advantage to receive salvation. That's his point. This is because Jesus was securely connected, securely fast, fastened, if you want to say it that way, to his father's will. His father's will in heaven and not to anyone on earth. There could be nothing competing to control his life. So John 8, 28 says... I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak just what the Father taught me. John 5, 17. So he told them, my Father is working until now, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jewish leaders, you know, they're trying even harder to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, thus making himself equal with God. So Jesus answers them, hey, I tell you the solemn truth, the Son of God, The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. His miracles are not at his mother's disposal or anyone else's. He is in absolute submission to his heavenly father. He and the father are one, and they have one will. So he's not being disrespectful to his mom. Right. This is about followers, not family. Jesus had to work against the assumption of his day that his family had an inside influence and an inside blessing. Maybe you remember the time in Luke chapter 11. This is a great little scene here. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd spoke out to him. Watch this. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that... Which you nursed, but he replies,, <laughs> "Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it." Kind of like, "Nope, you're thinking wrong." In other words, people thought there would be a special spiritual advantage in being the mother of Jesus, but Jesus cut that assumption off just like that, and he focused attention not on physical relationships, but on a spiritual relationship. Or another time, the people called to him uh, while he was speaking in a house in Mark chapter three. This is a really great scene too. In verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, "Look, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you." He answers them, and he says, "Who are my mother and my brothers?" And look at that, those who were sitting around him in a circle, he said, "Here are my mother and brothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister." And mother. In other words, followers, not family, have a saving relationship with Jesus. Faith, not family line. This is what we see in, in John chapter 2 and verse 4. They 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 have no wine. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Your relationship with me as mother has no special weight here. You're a woman like every other woman. My Father in heaven, not any human being, determines what miracles I perform, when I do them, by the way. And the pathway into my favor is faith, not family line. This is really good news for us, actually. Okay. Now, I'm not giving you permission to speak to your mom. All right. You need to, don't take this out of context. So I'm not doing this with my mom because I got no miracles, right? (laughs) This is great news for us. It doesn't matter what family line you come from. Your parents may be the most ungodly people you know. That's not gonna keep you from a relationship with Jesus. Faith, not family line, makes you Jesus's friend. First, we see this unbelievable, amazing, obedient son. Now you know who his obedience is to. And part of Jesus' glory is his radical freedom from family partiality and his radical allegiance to his Father, God the Father in heaven. John 1.14, right? We saw his glory, the glory. John's like, we saw his glory. The glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. Uh, My second point, I'm just titling it the the purifier. That's who he is, the purifier. And there's a reason Jesus chooses um, to use water jars that were for Jewish ceremonial washing. Um, Not for drinking when he performs his miracle and turns the water into wine. He wants to point to his own death as the purification for sin that would make obsolete and replace the jewish purification ritual so it, it might, my first point here just say a right my time is not yet come so jesus says to his mother at the end of verse 4 my time is not yet come what is his time what is his time his time is the time of his death when he will die for sinners purifying them from their sins john seven thirty. this is uh you can find this verse few pages over, and it says, then they tried to seize Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his time had not yet come. John 8, 20. No one seized him because his time had not yet come. John 12, 27. Now my soul is greatly distressed, Jesus says. And what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour or this time? No, but for this very reason, I have come to this hour, this time. John twelve, twenty-three. just above that, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus' time was the time of his death when the Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. That's his time. This is the washing away of our sin or purification or what John says in First John 1 7 in that great intimate letter he says the blood of Jesus his son God's son cleanses us from all sin it washes and purifies us from all sin so Jesus is this unbelievable purifier right and, and, and B Jesus goes ahead and does the miracle now Watch this. Even though he, Jesus rebuffs his mother, her request, by saying, my time has not yet come. He goes ahead and he does the miracle. You see that? So what Jesus is doing is saying, no, this unbelievable time of my death, it's not yet here. But I'll give you a sign of my death. I'll give you an acted out terrible of my death and what it will mean that leads us to see the jars for ceremonial washing why those jars so jesus tells the servants to fill the jewish ceremonial washing jars with water fill them up these are not used for drinking Remember, it's all pointed out they're used for bathing they're used for purifying. So Jesus wants to say that this is what my time would be like. I'll take the Jewish washing rituals of Israel. I'm going to replace them with a new way of washing with my blood. And keep in mind that in John six fifty five, Jesus says this. For my flesh is true f- food and my blood is true True drink. And so Jesus' blood, the washing, wine, it's all connected. Right? If you go back up to verse 53 in John 6, I tell you the solemn truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. So the second way that Jesus in this story or that we see Jesus in the story is by giving a sign, an acted out parable, if you will, of how his own death, his own blood, his time, be the final way to wash away our sins. There's no ceremonial ritual of washing anymore for cleansing. There's one way to be clean before God. John says it plainly. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, he says it plain. He writes these, these things. He says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See, this glory that, that John is all about us seeing is that Jesus alone, once and for all, washes away our sin with his blood. You can't turn To ceremonial rituals anymore. You don't turn there. You turn to Jesus, Jesus the purifier. Oh, it's rich, isn't it? There's one last thing, a way of, I think, seeing Jesus in this great story. I'm just saying it's uh, a providing bridegroom. And this can be confused a little bit too. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 29, John the Baptist speaks one last time about the, the supremacy of Jesus. And he says in verse 29, he says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. This then is my joy and it is complete. He must become more important while I become less important. So the last thing John, remember there's John the gospel author, John the baptizer. The last thing John the baptizer says about Jesus in, or John says about Jesus in this gospel is that he's the bridegroom who has the bride. So the church, the bride, the bridegroom these are all um, this is all language right that we become familiar with in this gospel. the bridegroom who has the bride, his growing church, his growing bunch of disciples, and so at the at the first miracle jesus um, what Jesus does is um, complete what the bridegroom at the wedding could not do. Now, um, let's just call this the perfect groom because we all know that grooms are not perfect. Right? In verses 9 and 10, it shows that the groom is, is, is actually responsible for the wine at his wedding, which means it was his fault at the wedding that they run out of wine. There's multiple things that happened at Linden and our wedding and that I, I was responsible for that didn't go the way it should. I only had a couple of jobs. Verse 9 and 10, when the head steward tasted the water that had been turned into wine, not knowing where it came from, so he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's happened. though. And then there's the commentary. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the bridegroom and he says to him, Hey, dude. Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the cheaper wine when the guests are drunk. You kept the good wine until now. What's the matter with you? He's all tight, right? And of course, the point is, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He let the wine run out. He let it run out. That's the way it is with grooms. All grooms, all husbands fail to be all that they ought to be all the time. Deeply flawed, these guys. Myself included, right? (laughs) Oh, wow. You realize you're saying amen to yourself, right? (laughs) Not just pointing out my faults, right? (laughs) Oh, man. So 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 what happened? What happened? Quietly, can I say omnipotently? <laughs> Jesus plays the role of the perfect providing bridegroom. He, he's, he's not the groom in the wedding right here, but he plays the role of a providing bridegroom. Out of water comes wine, better than any groom could provide. You see? That's the third way that we see Jesus at this wedding was that he showed himself to be a providing, perfect bridegroom for his bride, the church, or all those who trust him. Oh, it's rich. It's rich, isn't it? So hang with me, all right? What has this got to do with you and I? Let's kind of pull it together again. It comes pretty quickly. Each of these three pictures of Jesus Obedient son, purifier, providing bridegroom. It's filled with grace. All of these pictures of Jesus here, right? From his fullness, one gracious gift after another. That he he wants to give away. So as obedient son of God, he's not influenced by family, physical family, right? Not his mother and not your mother. He's for those who trust his grace. That's who he's for. As purifier, he's not moved by religious ceremony and ritual. Man, we love ceremony and ritual. Um, I don't care what anybody says, we love it. He replaces all the Old Testament rituals once and for all with his own blood. There's one way to be pure before God, the hardest way for Jesus, but it's the easiest way for you and I. Wash your robes in the blood of the lamb. Come to him, live by trusting him. And then last one, the providing bridegroom, what's this got to do with you and I? He never fails to give us what we need. The life-giving wine of his death takes our place and is all we ever need. He is the perfect providing groom to his church. So, as John says in Revelation 19, 7, let's rejoice and exalt and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? That's the church. Those are followers of Jesus who've truly seen Jesus as he is in all of his glory and received this Gift, graciously, a freedom. Have you made yourself ready? What's this have to do with me? Have you made yourself ready? Are you still messing around with rituals and ceremonies and all that kind of stuff? There's something so real about trusting Jesus. But we, it's like we want to do all, the, all these other things. Have you made yourself ready? Last, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's where you got to start if you're going to make yourself ready. You have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't this an unbelievable story? Isn't this the sweetest story? Right at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing that really happens. (laughs) Oh, it's good. Father in heaven, thank you. These are, this this is truly great. We want to see your obedient son, purifier, provider. We want to see him. We want all the effects and the gifts as a result of seeing him. So help us, Lord God. Give us eyes to really see your son, Jesus, in all of his greatness and his worth and his value. Show us more of his greatness, Lord God. Enabling us by grace to grow in the likeness of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the videocast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.